Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 8 through 9. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we, uh, we are in the midst of a, a three weeks into a five-week series on God's pursuit of us looking at the three parables of Luke chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. Even amidst all that we've had to contend with in the last couple weeks and where we are, I still believe that this is the word that God has for us today. So we're going to move forward trusting that God's work is going to speak uniquely to where we are this very moment. So let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I have an annual tradition each year after Christmas, and it's this. I load up on books. I don't know if any of you have that as well. Um, I'm usually gifted a book or two from somebody for Christmas. And then I spend a little bit of my own money on books of my choice. Um, I know that I'm mostly going to be inside for January and February. So I like to stock up on fun stuff, biographies and travelogues, and at least one fiction novel that I can just totally get lost in. I think that getting lost in a book is one of life's most untouched, unadulterated, sublime pleasures. No matter what's going on in the world, that is always there for me. So last year I bought this big fat novel, sci-fi novel, was really excited to read it, and uh, it got to February and I'm like, okay, I'm going to dig into this book, I'm going to immerse myself in the story, and I couldn't find it. I looked everywhere in my house, through all of our bookshelves, we've got a lot of them, in every cabinet, under every couch, and still nothing. I thought that maybe it ended up in my office, some of you know I've got a lot of books in my office, so I went through every shelf in my office, no sign of it there either. So I did the most logical thing that I could do. I blamed my kids, right? (laughs) Did you put it somewhere? Did you accidentally return it to the library? That's happened to us before. Then I did the most unwise and least logical thing that I could do. I questioned my wife's role in this uh, being lost. Eventually, after a a couple weeks of searching, I just gave up. I figured I can buy it later. Um, I can borrow it from the library. I called off the search. The search was over. We weren't going to find it. Fast forward four months till Father's Day 2019. On a sunny June morning, I just finished up here at church. I came home to a beautiful Father's Day lunch of my choice, and there were a couple gifts on the table. Two of those gifts were wrapped in Christmas wrapping paper. So I opened them. The first one was a box of three of my tie clips that I hadn't been able to find since Christmas. And the other one was, yes, you guessed it, the book that I was missing. It turns out that my darling seven-year-old daughter had rewrapped those items just a couple days after Christmas, 
and had stored them in her room in a very safe place until the perfect time to present them to me. So this item that I had given up on had miraculously been found. And that's the theme sort of of, of all these parables in Luke 15 is lost and found, right? The parables of lostness speak to the reality that we have a God who pursues us, who finds us. So as we're walking through this important chapter of Luke's gospel, it's important to understand that this is an opportunity for us to see the character of God, but also to see the good news as Jesus understood it and taught it. We're going to get to the climax of this chapter next week as we go into the parable of the prodigal son, but today we're going to look at the parable of the lost coin. This parable is really similar to the parable that we talked about last week, which was the parable of the lost sheep. For this reason, the parable of the lost coin is often overlooked and neglected. The parables are twins. They have the same basic structure and say kind of the same thing, so it's easy to read the first one and go, well, the lost coin is just saying the same thing as the lost sheep. But there are some modest differences that give us a glimpse of God's character that are not present in the parable of the lost sheep. So let me read it again for you. What woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So there are huge similarities between these two parables. Something is lost, something is found, and then there's rejoicing on earth as well as rejoicing in heaven. Also in both parables, Jesus provides a postscript about that that word repentance, which we're going to continue to dig into in the weeks to come, and that being a cause of the joy that happens in heaven. So those are the similarities. What are the differences? There are lots of them, but I, I just want to point out four to you this morning. It's going to help us understand this parable. The first is this. The coin is not a living thing. That's a big difference. The sheep is a living being. It has a will of its own. It can get lost on its own. A coin cannot do that, right? And this has caused a lot of people to infer that this is Jesus indicating that, that we are lifeless until we're found. That we have no will of our own, no spiritual sense without Jesus saving grace. I want to caution us from going too far down that road. We talked about our tendency to, to over-analogize the, the parables that this equals this and, and this is a symbol for this and this equals this. Instead, I would like to except that these are twin parables. So Jesus saying, Jesus can't be saying that we are lifeless in the coin because it, the corollary is the sheep and they are filled with life, right? So instead what I want to do is I want to look at what these two items have in common. What do they have in common? And this is really, really important. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Both are valuable. They're both valuable. In fact, the coin only exists because of its value. It's defined by its value. The text tells us that this is a silver coin. Silver coins in the first century Galilee were called drachma, and they represented one day's wages. One day's wages. So by any calculation, this is a valuable coin. Some of you can make calculations of your daily wage in your own mind, and you would go, yeah, if I lost that, I would want to find that, right? Particularly if you only had 10 days worth of wages saved up. This is a big deal. I know a bunch of you are sweating out the stock markets right now, if, if those take a 10% dip and your savings is tied into that, what do we call that? That's a meltdown, right? So it is for this coin. So rather than ascribing meaning to the coin because of its lack of will, 
Instead, let's see it as a symbol of value. And I'm convinced that this is what Jesus intended when he spoke of this. The second difference is the main character is a woman. And we have to talk about this. There's a, there's, this is a, the, the major source of most of the stuff written on this parable is around this topic. There are doctoral dissertations written on, on Jesus' use of a woman in, in this parable and its significance, how this could be an allusion to Lady Wisdom in the book of Proverbs, or even that Jesus would identify with a woman figure and how countercultural that was. Now, we can take this too far, the meaning of, of this being a woman too far for sure, but if nothing else, this is a bold choice for Jesus to use the main character as a woman. Remember, he's speaking to a group of Pharisees. All of them would have been male. They were experts of the law who, who are the audience of this parable. And he's asking them to identify with a low-class uh, Galilee woman. This is shocking, and it's countercultural for the first century Judaism where women were constantly marginalized. Women at that time were relegated to the home. They were discouraged from going out into public, and they were subservient to their husband, and, and they did all of the hard work of domestic life. There's actually a common prayer. It's part of the temple prayers in the first century. It's hard to even say it, but this is a prayer that was part of their liturgy. Thank you, Yahweh, that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Wow. That gives you a sense of how low the position of women were at this time. However, what does Jesus do? He reverses this. He readily speaks to women, even Gentile women. He uses women as moral exemplars in his parables. And he counts women as his disciples in such a way that they become prophetesses and evangelists and leaders in the early church. It's significant that, that Jesus chooses a woman in this parable, but only in as much as he is, is upholding how God intended for things to be from the very outset, where men and women were created equal and gifted equally. It's this kind of rhetorical choice from Jesus that provides a platform for us to create a theology around women having equal footing in the gospel work and in the church. Third difference. The search is diligent. The search is diligent. We don't get a lot of details of the search in the parable of the lost sheep. We just know that the sheep was lost and a shepherd goes to get them. But we see here that the woman lights a lamp and sweeps the floor and searches carefully for the coin. We don't get that diligence either in the following parable of the prodigal son. So it really sticks out here. The woman fervently searching is an analogy of God's initiative and diligence in seeking to recover his lost people. The point being, and I think Jesus spells it out pretty clearly, if a woman is going to go to these great lengths to find something that's of value to her, will not God much more expend himself and rejoice at finding lost people who are very valuable to him? This is an important aspect of our understanding of God's pursuit of people. It is not passive. It is active, and it's diligent. The last difference. The lost item is not far afield, but it is inside the house. So the lost sheep, that happens out in the pasture, out in the wilderness, but the lost coin, it happens in a house. This is actually a lot more significant than it might appear. There's a lot of language that's stacked up here. I was just in Galilee this last fall in the city of Capernaum, probably the place where Jesus spoke this parable to the Pharisees. And one of the distinct elements of Galilee is the stone that they used in their houses. They used this black basalt stone. That was the stone that was available to them. So homes in the Galilee region were built with this stone, 
they would have had just little windows about seven feet high, little, little slats in the rock to let some light in. The point of that being that even in the middle of a sunny day, these were dark homes. It was easy for things to get lost. The floor of the home would have been, uh, would have been smooth, uncut stones from the Sea of Galilee. So there were lots of little cracks in between for a, for a coin to fall into. In fact, in the 1980s, archaeologists who were working on Peter's house in Capernaum, you can go visit that, they actually found first century coins lodged in between some of those stones. So this parable is a snapshot of that domestic life in Galilee. But here's why that's important. The lost coin is in the house. It doesn't leave the house. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are often called the house of Israel. This would have been a signal to these Pharisees. By using a domestic scene, placing this story of lostness inside a house, Jesus is actually offering a stinging corrective to these listening Pharisees. And it goes something like this. The house of Israel right now is a dark place where souls are being lost and you don't seem to care. You don't have to go far afield for a lost sheep. The lost are among you. They are in the house and you do not recognize their value and you are not diligently searching for them. It's a tough word. One of the tenets of Jesus' gospel is the restoration of Israel. And we see that poignantly in this parable. We cannot understand Jesus apart from the people of Israel. This house of Israel, as the Old Testament calls it. In fact, N.T. Wright and others have argued that Jesus' chief goal was to restore and, and reinstate and reconstitute the house of Israel under Jesus' own leadership. So in other words... Jesus is not doing something totally new here. He's not scrapping what's been done before, but he's rather seeking to restore God's original intent for humanity from the very beginning. I'll, I'll prove it to you. We'll do a real flyby through the Old Testament here, and you'll see. Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sin, and, and they eat the forbidden fruit, they are weighed down by their sin. They are lost from God. They are separated from God. They recognize their nakedness, right? And what's God's inclination when that happens punishment retribution neglect destruction does he go i'll just wipe them out and start over again i'm god i can do that no he pursues them in the garden doesn't he look at verses eight and nine they heard the sound of the lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the lord among the trees of the garden but the lord called to adam the man saying to him where are you do you hear the irony of this? Do you think that God knows where he is? He's God, right? But he pursues them because he loves them and he wants to be in relationship with them and he doesn't want them to stay lost. In Genesis 12, 18, 22, we hear God's promise, covenant promise to Abraham that he and his offspring will be a blessing not just to the house of Israel, but to the nations, to the entire world. Notice that that blessing is not for a small group of people, it's for the nations. God's intent from the very beginning was that the house of Israel would be pursuing the lost to the ends of the earth. God pursues his children who are enslaved in Egypt and he, and he gives them law on Mount Sinai so that they can retain their distinctiveness over and against the false gods of the nations around them, but not so that they can just rest in that promise, but why? So that they can be a light to the nations. 
We have stories like Jethro and Ruth and Rahab and Naaman and the sailors who were with Jonah and even the queen of Sheba. All of these are Gentiles. They're non-Jews who come into the house of Israel by professing faith, what Paul calls being grafted into the house of Israel. And we hear stories of God's faithful people in pagan countries standing up for God as a witness to the nations like Daniel, whose witness causes the king Nebuchadnezzar to confess faith in Yahweh, the one God. All this to say, Jesus is not saying something new in the parables of Luke 15. He's calling these Pharisees back to God's heart from the very beginning of human history. God has always pursued his children, and he's always intended that the people of God should follow him in that pursuit of the lost. When the Bible talks about lost, what are we talking about? We're talking about people who are spiritually lost, who are separated from God, who are under the weight of sin, who are without hope who are insecure in themselves and in their future without God's help. As we talked about last week, God's heart has always been moved by compassion for those who are lost, and it is still moved in that direction. So it's worth asking the question, do we recognize the lost among us? Not far afield, but near to us, in the house with us. Do we have God's heart for them? I recognize that there are some of you here today who, if you were to be totally honest, you would say, I feel lost. I feel far from God. I feel like I'm under the weight of, of, of sin, and I'm, and, and, I'm, and I'm missing the hope that God can provide. If that's you, let me reiterate, we're glad you're here. You're in the right place. God loves you. He pursues you. He values you greatly. And I assume that you're here in some sense because you're curious about this Jesus person and what it means to be a Christ follower Well, being a Christ follower, part of God's family, requires that we are concerned for the lost. We don't settle for lost people slipping through the cracks. We light a lamp. We search diligently. We rejoice when they're found. There is no Christianity without this commitment because it's foundational to God's character and his people throughout the biblical witness. So... My guess is that many of us need to repent of our callousness in this way. I love the response of the woman, which we should follow. I don't know if you picked up on this. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. I lost it. She's owning it. There are lost people all around me and all around you, and we have a role to play in helping them be found by Jesus. So when I unwrapped that Christmas paper on that June morning, I found the book underneath. What was my response? I laughed. All five of us laughed. We laughed really hard. Actually, four of us. I think Lydia was like, why are you laughing? I don't get why you're laughing. Um, But we were, we were, it was so funny. We were, I was delighted to have it back. And I was delighted in my daughter for her, albeit strange, thoughtfulness, right? What a funny way for this gift to come back to me. And I hope the parallels are clear because they're certainly clear to me. The lost item was in my house the entire time. I should have searched more diligently for it. I should have valued it more. But it was there. And not only was it there, it was gift-wrapped for me as a gift from God, right? God finds lost things. He rejoices when they're found. I'm fully aware that this is a particular time where a lot of us and a lot of people around us have questions about God. I've been praying really fervently this week from hour to hour, God, what are, what are you up to in the midst of all this? Where are you at work in the midst of quarantines and, and illnesses and forced isolation? And I don't have all the answers to that, but I do believe that God is working for the good in this type of crisis 
And he wants it to, to be something that draws us closer to him and to his son, Jesus, especially those who are lost, especially those who are far from Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his beautiful little book, The Problem of Pain, says it this way, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks, to, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In times of pain, confusion, fear, God is speaking to us even more loudly, especially to those who are far from him. And this parable reminds us that he values us. He values us enough to, to continue to restore us to him, every one of us. But he also invites us into that pursuit as well. To recognize those who are closest to us, who need to know the love and the hope that comes from Jesus Christ. The opportunities that he gives us to join that pursuit are opportunities to show the lost among us that they are valued and restore them unto God. May we use these weeks ahead for us to see how we are being pursued by God and loved and valued by him, but also answer the call to join into that pursuit as well. Let's pray. Lord, this is a moment, a global moment, I'm overwhelmed by that idea. It's a moment where you are going to be speaking to your church, where you're going to be speaking to your people, where you're going to be seeking and saving the lost in a unique way. We rejoice in that, Lord. We rejoice in your heart of compassion and love. And Lord, we hear the call today to join in that pursuit as well. Lord, make us mindful of those who are around us who need a phone call, who need love and care, who need to be thought of, who need to be given hope. Make us mindful of the opportunities that you've given to us, not far afield, not in some far corner of the world, but right close to where we are. Lord, you have used these times of crisis throughout the history of the church to call your disciples into a radical way of loving and caring for others as a, as a witness to who you are. Would you do it again, Lord? Do it again. Move in our hearts to make us aware of those around us who are lost. And may we humbly, if you would give us the grace, Lord, would you humbly let us allow, would you allow us to be a part of their story of redemption of being restored unto you? I pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song.